0: monday night edition of the dunked basketball podcast a thriller in miami which we didn't expect once it came out that lebron james and Kyrie irving would be resting kevin love was supposedly gonna scratch and then he ended up playing which was critical darren williams had a great game the Cavs looked were ahead most of the way and miami staged a furious comeback to take it in overtime and keep their playoff hopes alive we also got to catch up with the rest of the playoff picture as well run through some of the scenarios now uh, where everyone is uh, danny specializes in that with his playoff grid our sponsors today are meundies you can get 20 off your first pair at the url meundies.com slash cap and seat geek get a 20 dollars rebate off your first seat geek purchase via that familiar cap space code So let's start then with just a quick run through of the results, that 124-121 heat victory keeps them alive. In other news, Chicago handed Orlando its worst defeat in franchise history, a 47-point shellacking that reached 30 points as early as the second quarter. That was just completely ridiculous. Uh, Josh Robbins noted that, Orlando, after getting blown out by the Pacers over the weekend, didn't practice and didn't have a shooter on today. So it seems like they have uh, pretty much packed it in and uh, certainly played like it tonight. So that brings Chicago to 40-41. and 41. Boston, in was a little harder-fought game than they might have preferred, defeated a game Brooklyn team, 114-105. And basically everyone won tonight. Uh, Milwaukee beat Charlotte 89-79, despite the fact that Kemba Walker didn't play Charlotte actually stayed in it through three quarters and then and actually led it in fact by five after three and then the Bucs turned up the defense outscoring the Hornets 28-13 in the fourth quarter Washington also beat Detroit but that game was meaningless and then in the Western Conference the Clippers destroyed Houston and the Jazz also improbably won in Golden State as Golden State did not play their regulars in the fourth quarter allowing the Jazz, who were shorthanded as well, without Rodney Hood, Derek Favors, and Gordon Hayward to pull it out uh, by playing a a few more of their regulars down the end uh, than Golden State did. So now, Danny, where does that leave us? Uh, Why don't we start just at the top in the battle for the number one seed between Boston and Cleveland?
1: Sure. So the top is actually pretty straightforward. The Celtics have a one-game lead, but the Cavs have the tiebreaker. So if either Boston wins or Cleveland loses in their games on Wednesday day then Boston gets the number one seed if both Boston loses and Cleveland wins then Cleveland gets the one seed it's pretty straightforward
0: yeah the Celtics play Milwaukee at home the Cavs play Toronto at home and you would imagine now that the Raptors are locked into the third seed they have the tiebreaker with the Wizards they have 50 wins the Wizards at 49 the Raptors will probably want to lose just to and it looks like LeBron James is not going to play Kyrie Irving might play in that final game but the raptors might want to just lose against cleveland and then give at least a chance that cleveland could get the number one seed and the raptors would be able to avoid them until the conference final
1: at the very least the raptors can be indifferent to winning the game because they have no incentive by virtue of boston winning this game they uh, toronto has clinched the three seed they're ahead of the Wizards no matter what and they are behind the Celtics and Cavs no matter what so they're best served by sitting their guys in that game no matter what and it would also behoove them in all likelihood to have Cleveland on the other side of the bracket so everything's kind of pulling the same way on the rope for them
0: yeah but a Celtics win against Milwaukee they would be the number one seed they would play the Wizards in the first round Uh, Milwaukee in the second round oh yes thank you uh Milwaukee for their part after beating Charlotte on the road against Boston they are a half game behind the Hawks the Hawks are the only one of these teams that still has two games left at home against Charlotte who again you would imagine probably won't play Kemba Walker in that game and then at Indiana uh, which will be a very interesting game as well uh, on the second end of a back-to-back Indiana, of course, will have to be fighting to win that game, and so where are the records now among the Hawks, Bucks, and Pacers? First, we'll start with the Pacers who are uh, with, with that tri- triad, and then there's also, though, the possibility that the Pacers, Bulls, and Heat could come into, into contact with one another as well
1: right so the hawks are largely straightforward as well they're at 42 and 38 if they win one of their last two games they get the five seed they're playing charlotte tomorrow at home charlotte's on a back-to-back kemba walker probably won't play as long as they win that game or the final game they're the five seed
0: yeah they have the tiebreaker over the milwaukee box
1: correct and milwaukee's the only other team that can catch them at that at that point yeah and and so well actually i guess yeah at that yeah anyway, if they, anyway as long as they
0: it. win one game and yeah. get to get
1: to four three wins right exactly as because then they would have the tiebreaker there so so milwaukee has it has a little bit more give to it just because they only have they only have one more game and the, and the and they don't have they have the tiebreaker over the pacers but they don't have it over the hawks so they could move around a little bit depending on other results but they're probably going to be the six at this point it, it looks like that's the most likely most likely outcome because the bulls and heat are at 40 and 41 so they can't catch them so the only team that can come from the bottom is the is the pacers that can, yeah, that can really and, get and it. the
0: bucks have the tiebreaker over the pacers as well correct
1: right and so so that's that lines up pretty squarely. So, so and the also, Bucks
0: can't be lower than six. Is that correct? That there's just no possible way they could be lower than six. Yeah, that is right.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know exactly for sure what happens in the Hawks, Bucks, Pacers theoretical three way tiebreaker. I think the Hawks lose that. So then that would mean that would mean that you're right. The Bucks could finish nowhere. worse. Yeah, than
0: six. yeah. So the way it would work is if the Hawks lose both of their remaining games, that would mean that they lost to the Pacers. Uh, so. I guess the Bucks the, the Bucks could be fifth. If the Hawks lose both of their remaining right. games they could be fifth and or 6th. The Bucks win. Yeah, they could be fifth. If another way that the Bucks could be fifth, no, I'm sorry. The, the, then in the event of a three-way tie between the Bucks, Hawks, and Pacers, you would get Atlanta five still, Bucks six, Pacers seven. If, however, the Bucks pass the Hawks, uh, by winning their remaining game, the Hawks lose both, then that would mean that the Hawks lost to the Pacers and the Pacers would have the tiebreaker over the Hawks. That would mean the Hawks and Pacers were tied, Bucks were ahead of them, and therefore the Hawks would drop to 7th. So the Hawks, overwhelmingly likely to be 5th, but a slight possibility if they lose both of their games and the Bucks win in Boston, that they could be 7th instead. And in that situation, the Pacers would then be 6th. But that's a pretty unlikely outcome uh, for the Pacers getting that high.
1: The big takeaway here is also that Milwaukee can know their fate if the Hawks win their game on Tuesday. So it's, it might not it might not be the fate that they want, but they might know, and that affects what they might do in terms of Boston. Because if if obviously Boston's going to be trying to win that game, they want to get the number one overall seed. And if Milwaukee's locked in at the six, they're not going to they're not going to care too much. It'll be more like what the Raptors are going to do against the Cavs.
0: That's right, because even if the Bucks and Pacers tie at 42 and 40 the Bucks would have the tiebreaker in in uh that situation so yeah that's uh for a number of reasons uh that Hawks uh Charlotte game will be an interesting one on Tuesday it's really I think the only game tomorrow that has any any playoff implications um meanwhile how do things look now uh, with uh the bulls heat and pacers actually we didn't say the pacers they won uh at philly very comfortably with all those teams winning where are we at in in terms of those three teams interacting
1: so that means that the heat had to win to stay alive if they had lost that overtime game to to cleveland they would be out right now and because the bulls have the one-to-one tiebreaker over the heat and what miami needs to have happen the easiest way the way for them to get in is to for them to win and for the bulls to lose and the bulls are playing they're hosting Brooklyn and the Heat are hosting the Wizards who have nothing to play for. So that could go in a couple that could go in a couple different directions. The Bulls are in a very basic win and they're in situation and Miami needs a win and some help.
0: Yeah, they do need that help. Basically, the Heat need to win for sure. And then a loss by either the Pacers or the Bulls, they would be in and the team that lost would be out. And the Pacers looking pretty likely to be 7th. In fact, the Pacers could clinch some seventh with a win uh they would be a game ahead of the bulls if the pacers lose and the bulls win then the bulls uh would take seventh and then it would be de- determined whether the pacers or heat are in uh based on whether the heat win. so if you look at what the odds are by 538 when they consider all that and, and of course 538 doesn't know what teams are going to rest or anything like that miami only given a 24 percent chance of making the playoffs both the pacers and bulls are are given 88% chances of, of making the playoffs and what is the remaining schedule uh, for those 13s we already know the pacers play the hawks what about the bulls and heat
1: the bulls host the nets and the heat host the wizards
0: now, I would actually put the Heat's chances a little better than 24% because the Nets are playing a lot better now than they have been. They actually throttled the Bulls, or they did not throttle them. those the the Knicks who did. But uh, they beat the Bulls in Brooklyn a little bit ago, and I think that the Nets... You know, they've been playing reasonably well. Uh, They put a little bit of a scare into the Celtics today. I think they have a a decent chance of beating the Bulls. And then the Heat also, with the Wizards having nothing to play for, although they did beat Detroit, who knows how hard the Wizards are going to try to play. And certainly you would think that if the Wizards get down at all, that they would just pull their starters in in particular uh, and rest them. So I think the Heat have a better chance of winning and the Bulls have a better chance of losing than might just be assumed based on the records and and the teams that they are playing.
1: one other small note that i just feel like i have to make is that another element of the brooklyn chicago game is that the starting centers are twin brothers i i actually <laughs> think that that could lead to brooklyn caring more
0: yeah i guess that's true supposedly brook and, and robin were like really competitive against one another. i mean al hassan was telling uh stories about those two guys playing against each other and another thing too that we should consider as well is that if the hawks win against charlotte then they're locked into the fifth seed so they'll have nothing to play for against indiana and so indiana will then Uh, be in better position so if you're a heat fan you want the hawks to lose to charlotte and have something to play for uh, on wednesday against indiana
1: right and what's fun about this is that since the top part isn't completely set a lot of things are kind of in place at the same time atlanta theoretically if they beat charlotte it'll it'll solidify a few different things but there isn't as much room for tactical maneuvering except for toronto because you don't know who's going to be in which spot
0: in the west it's much simpler clippers and jazz both 50 and 31 after the wins tonight the Clippers play Sacramento at home they have the tiebreaker over Utah and so all they have to do is take care of business at home against Sacramento which of course they didn't last time blowing an 18 point lead in the last five minutes but the Clippers playing much better at this point now uh, after what they did to Houston Houston rested a few guys but still you know the the Clippers outscored them by like 20 in the third quarter after it was a close game through halftime and then the jazz at home against san antonio san antonio has really actually been playing pretty poorly and they also have kind of been taking it easy they didn't play their main guys in the fourth quarter uh, as they uh lost in somewhat hilarious fashion as the ball just ricocheted to noah vonle for a game-winning layup uh, after a late kyle anderson turnover but i think the chances of uh, we don't have access to it exactly access wow that was a little the chicago accent broke out there for, for me a little bit and what would you say the chances are in the Clippers probably you would say have like an 85% chance of beating Sacramento and then the Jazz maybe have like a 60 or 70% chance of beating San Antonio the way they've kind of been treating these games lately so uh not much of a chance there for the Jazz to get home court in that series you'd probably say like you know maximum 10% if you're just eyeballing it I will get into that great Cleveland Miami game momentarily but first this from MeUndies So when I went to Portland, I realized that I'd only packed like two pairs of underwear and I was going to be there for a week. And I went over to the local Walmart just because I got back at like midnight. It was the only thing open. And I grabbed one of those store-bought five packs of underwear. God, that was horrendous. (laughs) It just did not fit at all. Just bunching up, uncomfortable. It felt like I was wearing like pieces of cardboard as underwear. Really just totally miserable. I was glad to get back. And put on a pair of undies today. They're designed in LA, made from sustainably sourced micro modal fabric that is three times softer than cotton. The most comfortable pair of underwear that I have ever had. If you go to our special URL, MeUndies.com/capspace, you can try it out, get 20% off your first pair. Or you could save 33% each month with a monthly subscription by selecting your style, size, and plan, and MeUndies will send you underwear that they think will fit you every month. So once again, the way to get started with MeUndies, MeUndies.com slash Capspace gets you 20% off your first pair. That's MeUndies.com Capspace. Easy to remember that URL because we talk about space all the time on the program meundies.com slash so let's get into this game here it looked bad for miami early on and one of the big reasons for that is cleveland just went off in the first quarter mostly with their shooting bigs fry and love causing all kinds of problems for miami and, and their traditional center hassan whiteside
1: right it actually produced a matchup where both sides were able to score reliably on the other because the Cavs did not really have any help defense with Love and Fry together, but they also took Whiteside far, far out of his comfort zone, and they were getting a lot of open threes. And as you could guess, just based on the way that Cleveland can generate offense, even without LeBron James with those shooters on the floor, they were able to get more reliable looks and convert those reliable looks. Miami had to struggle a little bit more to get to get quality shots, to get points, and so that led to Cleveland starting out the game with a lead, and then it, it ended up really turning... I mean, so it was 37 24 at that point. To me, it ended up turning with a lineup that shouldn't have been as surprising as it was, but it was James Johnson at center. Yeah, that
0: was in the second half in particular. I mean, they Miami came back late in the second quarter and managed to come close to tying it before Cleveland pulled away with uh, two late buckets in the second. But then, as you mentioned, Cleveland again took a 15-point lead into the fourth quarter. And uh, as has been Cleveland's want of late, uh, even with you know different players out there generally, they blew that lead. And, and James Johnson at center was so key because the Cavaliers really struggled to score. And I'm sorry, I misread that. They had an 11-point lead going into the fourth. Uh, but Johnson at center was so effective because... Now, Cleveland wasn't able to just stretch out whiteside, get right to the rim, or, or shoot threes. When he, because usually what will happen when you've got one of these traditional centers guarding a three point shooter is he'll almost just stick to the guy too much and not necessarily give up threes, but then he'll just, they'll just end up giving up layups because he's not mobile enough. And also, it's not even so much being mobile as just having kind of the mental reps to still help when you're guarding someone at the three point. That's like they could do one or the other, but they can't do both. And the heat really got into the Cavs a lot especially once kevin love got his fourth foul and had to go to the bench then the Cavs didn't really have anyone who could post up against the heat switches and they had that very switchy lineup and were able to be extremely effective overall for the game johnson despite a couple of, of late foibles james johnson was a negative one <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't play that well uh, in the first half, but then it, in the second half, he was really effective during that run.
1: But, but it also got into something that is non-representative for the Cavs with both LeBron and Kyrie out, which is that missing two of their best players players and then love had some foul trouble. So he missed some time. They were devoid of the players that can reliably generate offense for themselves. And so when you have a switching system, it puts a lot of onus on each individual player to do that. And when that responsibility is falling on Amon Schumper, when that responsibility is falling on even somebody like J.R. Smith, who can convert well or Kyle Korver, there were actually a couple of plays where they probably should have made Korver create more. But the one guy who was able to create offense for himself and had a very nice game was Darren Williams.
0: Yeah, 35 points for Williams, 14 of 25 from the field, five of nine on threes, also was getting to the basket against smaller players, pulling up for mid-rangers. He had nine assists, also had 10 turnovers. Uh, a, a few of those were pretty killer late, but Williams played 46 minutes. Kay Felder was only trusted with seven minutes, and then uh, he sprained his ankle in the fourth, so Williams probably had to come back in a little bit earlier. Of course, those are the only two point guards who were available, and they needed someone who could dribble, and Williams was really fantastic. I, I thought he showed a lot more verve off the dribble than you would normally see from him. He had that crossover working a little bit and uh, was very impressive. I then Kevin Love for Cleveland has not shot the ball as well from three in the games that I've seen coming back. He did have 25 points in this one. A very Kevin Love-esque stat line, 8 for 18 from the field, but he got to the foul line eight times. But I have to say that Love is becoming one of my least favorite players in the NBA to watch, which is a surprise because back when he was on Minnesota, I actually really enjoyed
1: watching it. The difference, while his free throw attempt rate hasn't shifted that much over time, he actually shot a lot of free throws when he was in Minnesota. His call-seeking behavior has shifted and gotten so much more blatant over time. And it's even less of a game than it is with Harden. At least with Harden, you're kind of figuring out how he's going to catch the guy. Hand in the cookie jar with love. It's more like it's it's more of like a blunt instrument, and it's just it's sometimes it's just painful and unenjoyable. For me,
0: a lot of it too that I don't really care for. I mean, he he is that he actually Harden is like drawing calls and like they're annoying and it's call-seeking behavior but they actually are fouls whereas Love a lot of times especially with the activity that he has with his off arm he gets away with murder with that thing when he's posting up he'll use it to kind of to either like try to go up through somebody's arm when he doesn't even have that arm on the ball or he'll just like kind of knock the knock the guy off with that off arm as well in plays where he's not going for a foul same thing with rebounding as well he really you know we'll get involved in this infighting sometimes he gets called for the foul sometimes you know more often it's it's somebody else but and the other thing is too is that like i don't really know if love could be an efficient player anymore without all these bs fouls that that he ends up drawing you know he can post up okay on switches but he's been really bad posting up in general this year especially against guys his size and aside from that he's just really a spot up shooter but he still is able to kind of just trick his way into this and it's just it's not enjoyable to watch anymore especially in the fourth quarter you know there are probably seven or eight times all of which involve call seeking behavior in which either he was called for a foul uh, trying to use his off arm or you know more often was able to kind of dupe the refs into calling one for him i mean nonetheless you know he is an effective player you do wonder against really good defense whether that's going to hold up over the long term for him or not though
1: I wanna keep an eye on how his offensive rebounding fares in the playoffs. I mean, some of that is attributable to where he is on the floor, but he has had some big ones, including that the, the second game against Atlanta, the one that was in Phillips. He had six offensive boards, and while Tristan Thompson is central to that, getting another guy who the teams have to pay attention to helps them a lot and would is gonna be an interesting challenge. I mean, we still don't know exactly what this Cleveland team at full strength is gonna look like, even though we've seen them in the past. But I think that could be be a big factor for them, especially. Yeah, he, the was, he was he was really
0: good against Boston on, on the offensive glass right. in that game. So, a couple of other notes here: uh, Wayne Ellington. Another guy on this Heat team we, we've been talking about Rodney Magruder and he had uh, and his abilities. Wayne Ellington has really, I think, for the first time this year, become a dangerous shooter that teams really have to respect. It used to be for a while, you know, back when he was in college in his first couple of years in the NBA, he really wasn't able to shoot three pointers on the move. He could, and he wasn't it wasn't a natural shot for him. He was much more comfortable coming off of screens for long twos, which of course are inefficient. This year, really for the first time to me. He's been effective coming off of screens and shooting threes, and that really has changed his game a ton. Uh, He had an excellent one in this game, four of eight from the field, four of seven on threes, uh, a game-high plus 15. He and Tyler Johnson were both excellent in this one. Johnson had 24 points. Uh, Ellington had 12, and... Tyler Johnson was really good too. In fact, to the point where the Heat were putting the ball in his hands late in the game and in overtime, rather than in the hands of Goran Dragic, who struggled a little bit with only uh, five of fifteen shooting and was not able to attempt a three pointer.
1: Poor Goran Dragic moved away and away and still end up being marginalized in, in the situation. Though this time it was more on performance; it wasn't anything structural. Like there was somebody ahead of him in line, he, he just wasn't playing as well as Johnson. And I, Josh Richardson had a nice game too. It wasn't as much in the creation realm, but I thought he did a nice job of converting the opportunities that were in front of him.
0: Yeah, this game was a little bit more of kind of how I, other than Ellington, who uh, was a nice signing. Ellington will be an interesting question, by the way, for next year, because... The Heat plan, of course, is to try to maximize their cap space. However, they have Ellington non-guaranteed, and it's also the first day after the moratorium that, that becomes guaranteed. So they actually will be able to see if they can do better than him. I'm going to guess that they probably won't be able to for next year. He's making only $6.2 million, which is uh, a steal for the production that he's given them this year. Uh, it, so. it
1: reminds me a lot of Jarebko and Amir Johnson for the Celtics. Right. where that you're giving yourself an out but then you don't want to use it and in his case they they could even trade him if they needed to if they you know if somebody said yes and for whatever reason that six million or so would made the difference he's a value on that contract so i expect that he'll just be around but they have that option
0: so it's an interesting closing lineup that the Heat went with Johnson at power forward, Whiteside, Dragic, and then uh, Tyler Johnson coming in for Rodney McRuther at times. They also would play Ellington at times down the end in offense defense situations. And uh, on what I thought was one of the key plays of the game, where they were able to take the lead in overtime down by one after a crazy Darren Williams four point play. Ellington was crucial he came in they were they'd been up three Williams had that four-point play uh James Johnson clearly fouled him uh that was his sixth foul so he was out of the game Uh, Love had already fouled out it was looking great for, for the Heat until that point uh then they had it with 34 seconds left and Much like the Thunder were able to do with Russell Westbrook yesterday, they got the two for one uh, and were able to get fouled. The play was Ellington coming up with Whiteside to set a screen for Tyler Johnson to get downhill. Richard Jefferson was guarding Ellington and didn't want to leave him. J.R. Smith saw a small coming at him, kind of hesitated for a second, thinking there would be a switch, and that enabled Johnson to explode to the rim and pick up uh, the foul.
1: So that allowed them to to get the free throws. He ended up making both of those, and then the Cavs still had a chance to to take the lead back themselves. It was it was a strange situation, and it happens every once in a while with a, with a player, but Korver had an opportunity, and he's a wonderful three-point shooter, to take a three, and he turned it down so that they could run The point that that iron loop. Design.
0: Yeah, he popped to the top and, and got the ball on the sideline out of bounds, and then he threw it to the weak side to Darren Williams. uh A three pointer less valuable there because they were only down one. Williams came off the screen from Channing Fry, missed uh, a contested long two. It was a nice contest by Whiteside. He actually was much better in the overtime. After the Heat had taken a lead with him out of the game, he came back in and was bad at first, and, and that's a, the Cavs went on a 7 0 run right when he got back in. But then Miami was able to fight back at the end of regulation and Whiteside was much better moving his feet Uh, at the end of regulation he had a a key deflection as the Cavaliers tried to win it in regulation moving his feet and pick and roll on Williams and then he was able to contest Williams uh, well on that jumper and Josh Richardson who was awesome on switching on to bigger guys and preventing the pass them he had a great box out on Channing Fry who obviously is much bigger than him and in that situation it's kind of tough to box a guy out when you just switch on a pick and roll so that was a key play they were able to run down some more time hit a couple of free throws for Tyler Johnson and then the Cavs unable to get any kind of a good shot off I thought that Tyler Johnson Josh Richardson were all great the the Cavs tried a bunch of dribble handoffs couldn't really even like get anybody open and then Fry just had to take a desperation three when they were down three that uh didn't come close Uh, so I was just really impressed again with Miami even without Dion Waiters what they're able to do with their guard depth pressuring up they really caused some problems for Kyle Korver too who just like can't dribble at this point he is a great shooter and he provides that element but The fact that he just can't do anything at all off of a closeout is a little bit of a problem once you actually guard him there. Uh, So it was just a a great win for Miami. I mean, they probably, they've not been playing as well since Waiters went out. Some of their three-point luck on both ends has regressed a little bit, but uh, they live to fight another day on this one.
1: I've talked before about how it would be distinctly unpleasurable to guard Lou Williams. I feel the same way kind of in in the the opposite side of the ball with Miami's guards you know Tyler Johnson was just a just such a destructive defensive player in this game Josh Richardson had some really nice possessions and some of that credit should go to to Spo and the coaching staff from Miami but they also have personnel that fits so well with what they want to do
0: What did you think of the Cavs decision to rest LeBron and to rest uh Kyrie Irving in this one if the Cavs had won out they still could have gotten the number one seed uh, because they have that tiebreaker over Boston.
1: It feels like Cleveland has kind of been rolling through this last stretch without a rhyme or reason and that happens when a team is gets kind of it gets into situations that they weren't yeah. expecting. Yeah because just
0: on last night's show Lou was like the, the most recent quote before today was that hey we're going to play our guys until or unless we clinch the number one seed
1: like hard at, in that Atlanta game and they didn't end up getting a win that, where down LeBron probably was a factor in not playing him today. Whether that was a factor in not playing him in the, in the closeout game against the uh, the Raptors is a, is a different question. I legitimately don't know. But maybe they just don't prioritize getting the top seed. They are confident enough to to beat anyone on the floor they i, th- I still think even if they finish as the two seed they're still the favorites in the eastern conference but it didn't take that much after they beat boston to put them- themselves in the right place they lost a back-to-back or not a back-to-back but two consecutive games against the hawks including the first one when atlanta sat a lot of their best players basically all their starters all they really needed was one of those games to put themselves in the catbird seat and they couldn't do it
0: yeah and maybe just they decided hey we're just not playing well enough now we gotta relax and guys played some instrument so many minutes in that second game against atlanta another interesting thing the last two years in miami lebron has not played and rested three games and only played 26 minutes and lost the one game that he has played so he is uh, uh whether he's not comfortable playing there he definitely did not play well in their first game back there against uh, Miami either which you'll recall Miami won uh, in 2014 so that perhaps played a factor as well it very well could have all right we will talk a little news here Uh, random question maybe talk a little cap stuff right after this word from SeatGeek the playoffs are getting started the best place to get your tickets is SeatGeek for two main reasons number one SeatGeek aggregates ticket buying sites together. No longer do you need to go to a bunch of different sites worrying that a great deal could be just around the corner if you try another site. Now SeatGeek aggregates those sites together. So you just go to SeatGeek and you can feel good about getting the available tickets in front of you. Second, once you're actually looking at the tickets in SeatGeek, it's much faster as well than trying to click on every single ticket and decide, hey, you know, this is uh section 111. It's three rows ahead. Would I rather be in section 110 a little bit further back the difference in price between these is 20 bucks is that really worth it which one's a better deal no longer do you have to do that because SeatGeek's algorithms will do that for you they rank every ticket based on value so you look the general area where you want to sit click on your section pick the tickets that's the best value and you can rest assured that you're getting the most bang for your buck so the way to get started with SeatGeek, use that familiar Capspace code, which we talk about all the time on the program, of course. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. And that Capspace code will, of course, also let them know that you came from us. So that's the SeatGeek app, promo code Capspace. So on the news front here, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of this GM news. First, Rich Cho had the, uh, the Charlotte GM had the option on his contract exercise for next year what do you think of the job that Cho has done with of course the caveat that you know there may be a little bit more ownership interference in that organization than some others
1: it was good that they got Nikola batum to take a, a cut off of what he could have gotten overall i am still critical that they i think they they could have front-loaded his contract a little bit more. They were running into issues in terms of max salary, so they couldn't have gone full, full bore on it. But there have been some major mistakes in terms of their planning. I thought that trading a first-round pick for Marco Bellinelli, who was an, a net negative in terms of his... Is expensive contract he's actually played pretty well this year but that that, that was still an issue draft drafting frank kaminsky t- reportedly turning down that ridiculous offer from the celtics should that have been true they e- either way they took kaminsky over miles turner the biombo thing and so parts of it were largely unwinnable you know they they couldn't keep last year's team together and that was largely due to circumstances outside of their control but they they also could have made life a whole lot easier on themselves
0: yeah that that 2015 uh, draft definitely difficult for for them, but you know, I think that might have been one of those times where MJ really wanted Kaminsky uh, because. He feels like he needs to get every other white American center in the league on his team at one point or another, <laughs> apparently. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, they definitely have had some wins. Uh, the hiring of Steve Clifford was solid. And it's also tough to know, again, where Rich Joe uh, begins and uh, the rest of the organization ends. Uh, but I do think that Bellinelli trade was pretty ugly. Their bench this year was not really in very good shape. The Kaminsky drafting, so. uh you know i wouldn't say that show has done poorly it's certainly like the mkg extension was good the Kemba walker extension was outstanding uh so that was a really a win that was a, a contract that people were like oh you're really signing, paying him that signing much?
1: jeremy lynn yeah jeremy that was Lin, a great acquiring signing courtney, acqu- acquiring courtney lee for not that much they ended up losing both those guys but having them help fuel last year's playoff run
0: yeah and they probably really should have won a playoff series if they had been healthy last year the problem though of course is that i'm not really sure where they go from here they're out and they got some some major needs and. Asking Kemba Walker to have this season that he just had in terms of both health and performance. It might be asking a little bit much. MKG hasn't really developed, but I wouldn't say that, you know, Cho is the type of GM where you're like, oh, hey, like he hasn't performed. They've been really bad. There's been a mixed bag like it is for a lot of teams. So he's certainly not one of those guys where you're like, hey, this guy should be in trouble. He hasn't done a good job.
1: And he certainly has the trust of ownership, and we know that that matters.
0: In other news, it's been reported that David Griffin, the Cavs GM, does not have a contract for next season whether he really wants too much money or what. I mean, he's clearly has done an awesome job there. I mean, it, pretty much every season he's made signings that have rescued them from uh, oblivion or, or trades. I mean, the Mozgov-Shumpert-J.R. Smith trade is, is one that really worked great. The He got a first-round pick for Dion Waiters, who at the time was just horrendous and ended up only getting the room exception after that. Uh, so And he took on J.R. Smith's dead salary in theory, and they were able to make a player out of him some of the moves that he's made in the buyout market uh releasing well something it, else i yeah. want to
1: bring up is, is also that he's done a good job from what i can tell of executing what dan gilbert wants because part of what they had to do this year they he had his hands tied behind his back because they wanted to unload birdman and mo williams they were able to do that you know they were able to eventually get rid of both of those guys yeah they ended up giving up an asset in terms of the first round pick in the kyle Corver trade and you can make an argument about how all that was going to work out but they were able to unload a lot of money and if gilbert had wanted to do it differently they could have eaten that and trotted out more guys for those roster spots but it seems like that option was not on the table
0: yeah their cap management has been excellent what they've done with the brendan haywood trade was great then turning that into successive trade exceptions picking up channing fry trading away anderson fairshaw having him get released and then helping the Cavs win the championship by having it be on the warriors also a brilliant stroke that was i'm sure was all entirely intended uh, but yeah griffin has been great i think he's you know firmly in the upper echelon of gms and it would be very foolish of the cavs to, to let him go uh which you know we'll see whether that happens or not how the season ends but that would be uh especially considering Some of the egos that he's had to deal with, me being in between Dan Gilbert and LeBron James, and dealing with all the drama—all pretty impressive from him. And and I think he's uh, done a uniquely good job there. And we have no idea how anybody else that they would bring in would handle that environment.
1: That's exactly the small point I want to make: is that there are GMs that are good at a lot of different parts of this, but there is a specific challenge that Griffin has of dealing with this narrow circumstance of a team that's functionally capped out, that has an owner that's willing to spend but kind of wants to spend in the right. Spots and a very, very active star player. So he has expertly managed all of that and helped, you know, it, yeah, sure, having LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love makes things easier. But those decisions on the margins really do matter. And I think that he has not done a perfect job, but done a very good job overall in that challenging circumstance.
0: In other news, uh, Jan Mahimi was diagnosed today with a strained calf. Uh, He had to go to the locker room, ask out of the game immediately after it happened. So you know what we say about calf injuries uh, on this show. uh, You have to wonder whether he's going to be ready for the weekend and Part of the reason why the Wizards have not played as well since Mihimi returned is that he's actually been okay. It's that Marcin Gortat has not looked nearly as good. He had to play a ridiculous minute load for a 32-year-old center early in the season because they just had nothing behind him, and now they're going to be relying on him again to play big minutes when it seems like he's really kind of worn down uh, without Mahimi and then you know their defense has been horrendous and Mahimi is probably their best defensive player still so uh, that's really a major concern for Washington uh, going into a a first-round series against uh, either the Bucs or Atlanta
1: yeah it's definitely something something to watch moving forward injuries always rear their head in the playoffs last couple years it's been more high-end players but Mahimi matters all
0: right last thing here before we go, Woj reporting, and uh I've also confirmed this that uh not that anything Woj reports needs to be confirmed, but I've gotten a little bit more detail on it. Uh, the league has given a new cap projection for next year, now down to 101 million. Uh it's 94.1 this year. You'll recall that this time last year, that estimate was 108 million, and much of that was based on the fact that they thought there would be. A shortfall in what they are playing the players this year and that then the cap would go up based on that shortfall to help bring it more spending more in line with the revenue a couple of things have resulted in this again lowered projection number one the amount of spending this year has actually been much higher and so there's been less of a shortfall than was anticipated number two revenue actually is a little bit lower than what the projections were
1: it's really interesting that it was both of those things at kind of working together in concert and when you think about it it's not that big a change when you consider that these two things ended up going in the same direction but it is kind of worth keeping in the back of your mind moving forward as we look in the different estimates and as the revenue inputs change over time with the new uniform contract of course the new tv deal is in and that's what fueled the cap rise jersey ads there are a lot of different things that are kind of coming down the pipeline and also tv deals are changing all the like local tv deals are changing all the time the clippers i think are on a new one either now or very very soon those sorts of things will come into play as well
0: yeah it was actually uh, albert namad then had a piece analyzing this which i thought was interesting the clippers have a six-year deal with a mutual opt-out after two years which means you know it's a two-year deal (laughs) with uh fox sports that's paying 55 million a season that's a lot more than they had been getting, which is only $25 just which is crazy low in L.A., you know, signed at a time when the environment was much different and the Clippers weren't any good. But the hope when uh, Steve Ballmer was advised on the purchase of the team is that they could get $125 million. And no, you're not the Lakers, Clippers. Sorry, you're not getting $125 million. And Ballmer has been supposedly trying to find some other potential revenue streams but it's a concern for the clippers too because you would have thought this is the time when they really could have raked in some money right because they still got chris paul and blake griffin they've been a 50 win team for the last four or five years they're on the downswing now two years from now a lot of those guys might not be on the team anymore and you know it's, they're it's not going to look that rosy like the clippers despite being in the this great market, you know, just don't have the financial punch that you would expect uh, based on that. And if they're not winning games, I think, you know, you could see them get into kind of more of a Brooklyn situation.
1: Let's hope we don't see that. But, I mean, we I, I had had this running conversation with people as somebody who, who lived, in, lived in L.A. when the Lakers were kind of – they were still – good but they were fading out before things got got a little bit better at the at, you know right before and the question that i asked people was how long would it take for lakers fl- car flags to turn into clippers car flags and the answer was ends up being a whole heck of a lot because it w- this wasn't enough
0: yeah we'll see uh, what happens with the lakers but yeah they've been four bad years of lakers and five good years of clippers really doesn't seem to have changed all that much here so this is just now going to put the squeeze on a little bit more and then for the year after that it's only 102 million as well so it's only going to go up 1 million uh the year after next and so all these teams I and mean, we have talked about how crippling some of these 2016 contracts could be because remember a lot of those contracts of course will be going up 7.5 percent or 4.5%, which is more than the cap will be going up in these successive years. So the teams that manage their cap well, it's now suddenly going to be a big advantage again as opposed to these salad days when everybody had cap space. So 2018, 2019, uh, this year as well, there's going to be less cap space around the league. It's uh, The squeeze could be felt earlier really i mean because you know 2015 2016 those years the cap went up by 9 million in i'm sorry by 7 million in 2015 and then also everyone knew it was going up so much afterwards that we're like hey we got to sign people to as many contracts as we can and then of course last year everybody had all this space now we're going to get back to the days when hey you know maybe six seven teams a year have can put together max space
1: on top of that we're going to start getting into an issue which we've seen a couple times with teams as we've talked about that kind of looking forward that they have a similar amount of space for two separate years. And that can be a a perilous spot. The Lakers are actually in a situation like this or were before last year when they spent way too much money. And if those teams are impatient, then you have the cascading effect because they if they choose wrong one year, then it takes away their flexibility in the next
0: all right we're about done here
1: yeah i think so all
0: right we'll be back tomorrow still haven't decided yet whether we're gonna do twitter nba show for a, a pretty tanktastic tuesday with kings and Suns, and who are the lakers playing against some other like tanking team right
1: the lakers are hosting the new orleans pelicans
0: oh yeah yeah i mean that we'll see if ad and cousins play in that one i'm uh i'm gonna guess probably not so i mean how, how many how many april games has demarcus cousins played over the last five years like three <laughs> they're just they're they're taking nearly every year uh but that might be fun we're definitely on wednesday going to do twitter nba show with a little bit of a different format i think we'll just kind of jump around tell you what games we're looking at and uh you know see what comes down to the wire it'll kind of be more like uh nfl red zone for the nba type of format so hopefully if you have league pass you can skip around and uh stick with us uh, on some of those that'll be a lot of fun and then during the playoffs we're gonna try to do every day that there isn't a golden state home game for as long as i can stay sane i think we're gonna try and do uh, a twitter nba show either me or me and danny uh for that we really want to try and get this thing started so please uh spread the word out on that uh social media tell your friends about it that's uh, a fun project that, that we're doing it's a lot of fun to uh watch the games with you guys take periscope questions during the breaks and just commentate on games. That's what I you know kind of wanted to do that since I was ten years old. And it's it's pretty fun to do it. Uh I know you feel the same way. So you being Danny, not uh not our audience. Uh, many right, of them probably did too. <laughs> all right. Thanks again to our sponsors, me Undies, me slash cap space. We'll get you twenty percent off your first pair, and the cap space code on geek will get you a twenty dollar rebate off your first geek purchase. Talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then.